Chapter 24 of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance. Chapter 24 A Rendezvous. With as little ceremony as though the bullet had lodged in himself, Lanyard tumbled back into the room tripped and fell sprawling, while to a tune of clattering boots two sergeants, de Ville, lumbered valiantly into the library and pulled up to discover Madame Omber standing calmly, safe and sound, beside her desk, and Lanyard picking himself up from the floor by the open window. Beside them Sidoni trotted, wringing her hands. Madame, she bleated, they wouldn't listen to me, madame, I couldn't stop them. All right, Sidoni, go back to the hall. I'll call you when needed. Messieurs, good morning. One of the sergeants advanced with an uncertain salute and a superfluous question. Madame Omber? The other waited on the threshold, barring the way. Lanyard measured the two speculatively. The spokesman seemed a bit old and fat, ripe for his pension, little apt to prove seriously effective in a rough-and-tumble. But the other was young, sturdy, and broad-chested, with the poise of an athlete, and carried in addition to his sword a pistol naked in his hand, while his clear blue eyes, meeting the adventurers, lighted up with a glint of invitation. For the present, however, Lanyard wasn't taking any. He met that challenge with a look of utter stupidity, folded his arms, lounged against the desk, and watched Madame Umber acknowledge, none too cordially, the other sergeant's query. I am Madame Umber, yes. What can I do for you? The sergeant gaped. Pardon, he stammered, then laughed as one who tardily appreciates a joke. It is well we are arrived in town, madame, he added, though it would seem you have not had great trouble with this miscreant. Where is the woman? He moved a pace toward Lanyard. Handcuffs jiggled in his grasp. But a moment, Madame interposed. Woman? What woman? Pausing, the older sergeant explained in a tone of surprise. But his accomplice, naturally. Such were our instructions. To proceed at once to Madame's hotel, come in quietly by the servant's entrance, which would be open, and arrest a burglar with his female accomplice. Again the stout sergeant moved towards Lanyard. Again Madame Omber stopped him. But one more moment, if you please. Her eyes, dense with suspicion, questioned Lanyard who, with a significant nod towards the jewel-case still in her hands, gave her a glance of dumb entreaty. After a brief hesitation, It is a mistake, Madame declared. There is no woman in this house, to my certain knowledge, who has no right to be here. But you say you received a message? I sent none. The fat sergeant shrugged. That is not for me to dispute, Madame. I have only my orders to go by. He glared sullenly at Lanyard, who returned a placid smile that, despite such hope as he might derive from Madame's irresolute manner, masked a vast amount of trepidation. He felt tolerably sure Madame Omber had not sent for police on prior knowledge of his presence in the library. All this, then, would seem to indicate a new form of attack on the part of the pack. He had probably been followed and seen to enter, or else the girl had been caught attempting to steal away, and the information wrung from her by force majeure. Moreover, he could hear two more pairs of feet tramping through the salon. Pending the arrival of these last, Madame Omber said nothing more. And, Ceremoniously enough, the newcomers shouldered into the library, one pompous uniformed body, of otherwise undistinguished appearance, promptly identified by the sergent de ville as Monsieur le Commissaire of that quarter, the other, a puffy mediocrity, known to Lanyard at least, if apparently to no one else, as Popinot. At this confirmation of his darkest fears, the adventurer abandoned hope of aid from Madame Omber, and began quietly to reckon his chances of escape through his own efforts. But he was quite unarmed, and the odds were heavy. Four against one, all four no doubt under arms, 
and two, at least, the sergeants, men of sound military training. Madame Omber, inquired the commissionaire, saluting that lady with immense dignity. One trusts that this intrusion may be pardoned, the circumstances remembered. In an affair of this nature, involving this repository of so historic treasures. That is quite well understood, monsieur le commissaire, madame replied distantly. And this monsieur is, no doubt, your aide? Pardon, the official hastened to identify his companion. Monsieur Papinot, agent de la Sûreté, who lays these informations. With a profound obeisance to Madame Omber, Popinot strode dramatically over to confront Lanyard and explore his features with his small, keen, shifty eyes of a pig, a scrutiny which the adventurer suffered with superficial calm. It is he, Popinot announced with a gesture. Messieurs, I call upon you to arrest this man, Michael Lanyard, alias the Lone Wolf. He stepped back a pace, expanding his chest in vain effort to eclipse his abdomen, and glanced triumphantly at his respectful audience. Accused, he added with intense relish, of the murder of Inspector Roddy of Scotland Yard at Troyon's, as well as of setting fire to that establishment. For this, Papineau, Lanyard interrupted in undertone, I shall some day cut off your ears. He turned to Madame Omber. Accept, if you please, madam, my sincere regrets, but this charge happens to be one of which I am altogether innocent. Instantly, from lounging against the desk, Lanyard straightened up, and the heavy humidor of brass and mahogany, on which his right hand had been resting, seemed fairly to leap from its place as, with a sweep of his arm, he sent it spinning point-blank at the younger sergeant. Before that one, wholly unprepared, could more than gasp, the humidor caught him a blow like a kick just below the breastbone. He reeled. The breath left him in one great gust. He sat down abruptly, blue eyes wide with a look of grieved surprise, clapped both hands to his middle, blinked, turned pale, and keeled over on his side. But Lanyard hadn't waited to no results. He was busy. The fat sergeant had leaped snarling upon his arm, and was struggling to hold it still long enough to snap a handcuff round the wrist, while the commissionaire had started forward with a bellow of rage, and two hands extended in itching for the adventurer's throat. The first received a half-arm jab on the point of his chin that jarred his entire system, and without in the least understanding how it happened, found himself whirled around and laid prostrate in the commissionaire's path. The latter tripped, fell, and planted two hard knees, with the bulk of his weight atop them, on the apex of the sergeant's paunch. At the same time, Lanyard, leaping towards the doorway, noticed Popinot tugging at something in his hip pocket. Followed a vivid flash, then complete darkness. With a well-aimed kick, an elementary movement of La Savant, Lanyard had dislocated the switch of the electric lights, knocking its porcelain box from the wall, breaking the connection, and creating a short circuit which extinguished every light in that part of the house. With his way thus apparently cleared, the police in confusion, darkness aiding him, Lanyard plunged on, but in mid-stride as he crossed the threshold, his ankle was caught by the still prostrate younger sergeant and jerked from under him. His momentum threw him with a crash, and may have spared him a worse mishap, for in the same breath he heard the report of a pistol and knew that Popinot had fired at his fugitive shadow. As he brought one heel down with crushing force on the sergeant's wrist, freeing his foot, he was dimly conscious of the voice of the commissionaire shouting frantic prayers to cease firing. Then the pain-maddened sergeant crawled to his knees, lunged blindly forward, knocked the adventurer back in the act of rising, and fell on top of him. Hampered by two hundred pounds of fighting Frenchmen, Lanyard felt his cause was lost, yet battled on, and would while breath was in him. With a heave, a twist, and a squirm, he slipped from under, and swinging a fist at random, barked his knuckles against the mouth of the sergeant. Momentarily that one relaxed his hold, and Lanyard struggled to his knees, only to go down as the indomitable Frenchman grappled yet a second time. Now, however, as they fell, Lanyard was on top, and shifting both hands to his antagonist's left forearm, he wrenched it up and around. There was a cry of pain, and he jumped clear of one no longer to be reckoned with. Nevertheless, as he had feared, the delay had proved ruinous. 
He had only found his feet when an unidentified person hurled himself bodily through the gloom and wrapped his hands around Lanyard's thighs. And as both went down, two more piled on top. For the next minute or two, Lanyard fought blindly, madly, viciously, striking and kicking at random. For all that, even with one sergeant hors de combat, they were three to one. And though with the ferocity of sheer desperation he shook them all off at one time and gained a few yards more, it was only again to be overcome and borne down, crushed beneath the weight of three. His wind was going, his strength was leaving him. He mustered up every ounce of energy, all his wit and courage, for one last effort. Fought like a cat, tooth and nail, toiled once more to his knees, with two clinging to him like wolves to the flanks of a stag, shook one off, regained his feet, swayed, and in one final gust of ferocity dashed both fists repeatedly into the face of him who still clung to him. That one was Popano. He knew instinctively that this was so, and a grim joy filled him as he felt the man's clutches relax and fall away, and guessed how brutal was the damage he had done to that fat, evil face. At length three, he made off, running, stumbling, reeling, gained the hall, flung open the door, and heedless of the picket who had fired on him from below the window, dashed down the steps, and away. Three shots sped him through that intricate tangle of night-bound park, but all went wide. The pursuit, what little there was, blundered off at haphazard, and lost itself as well. He came to the wall, crept along in shelter of its shadow, until he found a tree with low-swung branch that jutted out over the street, climbed this, edged out over the wall, and dropped to the sidewalk. A shout from the quarter of the carriage gates greeted his appearance. He turned and ran again. Flying footsteps for a time pursued him, and once, with a sinking heart, he heard the rumble of a motor. But he recovered quickly, regained his wind, and ran well, with long, steady, ground-consuming strides, and he doubled, turned, and twisted in a manner to wake the envy of the most subtle fox. In time, he felt warranted in slowing down to a rapid walk. Weariness was now a heavy burden upon him, and his spirit numb with desperate need of rest, but his pace did not flag, nor his purpose falter from its goal. It was a long walk, if a direct one, to which he set himself as soon as confident the pursuit had failed once more. He plodded on without faltering, to the one place where he might feel sure of finding his beloved, if she lived and were free. He knew that she had not forgotten, and in his heart he knew that she would never again of her own will fail him. Nor had she. When, weary and spent from that heartbreaking climb up the merciless acclivity of the Butte Montmartre, he staggered rather than walked past the sleepy verger and found his way through the crowding shadows to the softly luminous heart of the basilica of the Sacre Coeur. He found her there, kneeling, her head bowed upon hands resting on the back of the chair before her, a slight and timid figure, lost and lonely in the long ranks of empty chairs that filled the nave. Slowly, almost fearfully, he went to her, and silently he slipped into the chair by her side. She knew, without looking up, that it was he. After a little, her hand stole out, closed round his fingers, and drew him forward with a gentle, insistent pressure. He knelt then with her, hand in hand, filled with the wonder of it, that he to whom religion had been nothing should have been brought to this by a woman's hand. He knelt for a long time, for many minutes, profoundly intrigued, his somber gaze questioning the golden shadows and the ancient mystery of the distant choir and shining altar. And there was no question in his heart but that, whatever should ensue of this, the unquiet spirit of the lone wolf was forevermore at rest. End of chapter 24 Recording by Todd